Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. ago, Pastor Mark told the elders that he wanted to dedicate the month of January to this subject. And there was an intimacy to his heart as he explained what he felt the Lord was calling us to. And I feel like this month of January has been an assembly of the Holy Spirit calling a people before the presence of the Lord. And so today, we're going to have a family conversation. We're going to talk about what God wants here. Now, if you are a guest or visiting from another congregation, or you're watching, you know, from somewhere else, that's okay. We have plenty of food, so grab a plate, pull up a chair, and gnaw on the bone we're chewing today. Is that okay? The... Subject that uh, Pastor Mark asked us to focus on centered around three concepts. And so two weeks ago, Lindsay spoke on come. Last week, Tyler spoke on follow. And today, we're going to use the the last of the three-legged stool. None of these are more important than the other. It's the three-legged stool that requires all three legs to be able to sit on properly. And I feel like the Lord is speaking to us in a holy moment, that he's bringing us to sacred ground. So take off your shoes, because the presence of the Lord is here. Do you sense the Spirit of God moving among us? Do you feel? I know that, you know, we're taught not to feel. You're not, somehow we're not supposed to go by emotions. We go by faith. We don't go by sight. We, but there is a, an interaction that the Lord brings through our emotions and our feelings. It's one of the ways we relate to him. The emotions of God are pure and holy. They're complete and right. And therefore, the Lord causes us to come before his presence with heartfelt emotions. Lindsay read from Exodus, and Pastor Mark set the tone that he was wanting to look at the book of Exodus as a resource for us on things that the Lord would be uh, doing and releasing. And so, Exodus 19.9, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming. See, we don't come to Christ until the Father draws. We don't come to the Father except through the Son. It is the Holy Spirit who draws us. There's nothing in us that can be used to manufacture or create the approach of God. The hunger that you may have, 
the desire in your heart for him is instigated by the Holy Spirit. He brings or he comes and it's only by the coming of the Lord that we can come to him. Then last week, we follow because he leads. The fact is, it's the Lord that has been following us from since before you were born. He has been tracking your life because he has a plan, he has a purpose, and when you were born, he began to watch you. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro over the earth for a people to worship him. And so it's the tracking of the Holy Spirit, the hound dog of heaven, that will not let you out of your sight until you come to him and follow. This presence of the Lord, you know, I, uh, Tyler was talking about it's a supernatural event, right? You have this pillar of fire by night to bring warmth and light in the darkness, and this cloud by day to give a shade from the scorching desert sun. And it was a supernatural event. This is not a fable. Exodus is not a, some kind of poem or story. It's not an urban legend. The pillar of God is real. And one of the hallmarks of this people is to get comfortable in the uncomfortableness of the supernatural manifestation of God. It's his desire to come. It's It's his desire to lead us into his presence. If we follow, we will experience supernatural occurrences. Now, I'm not interested in us following after signs and wonders. The Bible says these things will follow those who believe. When we follow Christ, it has to be part of our comfort zone in an uncomfortable way that the presence of the Lord will bring supernatural occurrences. Things will happen suddenly, and all of a sudden, Jesus was dead, he was buried, but he's alive. Are you kidding me? What? Yeah, I put my fingers in his side. I saw where the... All of a sudden, the resurrected Christ was displayed. There is this disguise of God to hide things, not from us, but for us to find. You ever hide your Easter eggs for your children to find? And you, you're not going to you know, try to do your best... I'm going to find them so that nobody finds one of these. I colored them, and they're mine. No. Proverbs 25, 2 says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and is the honor of kings to search it out. And God is giving us an opportunity to follow him and search it out. The third of the three-legged stool is that we build according to to his pattern. So this is the the leading that the Holy Spirit gave to our pastor. And in my opinion, there is a prophetic nature to the direction that the Lord is giving him. I have found our pastor to be a reliable 
prophetic voice in this house. I would expect that of a worship leader. But I'm seeing, the, I'm seeing a man who is maturing before us in the prophetic realm. For me, it re- the, the trajectory took a bend on December 27th, 2020, when he began a message called, What is God Like? And from that point, I began to hear a prophetic voice grow stronger and stronger about individual responsibility to come, follow, in the worshiping presence of our God. And over the last year, as that theme built, the tone of his voice, the tone of his heart changed, not changed, expanded from a prophetic voice to an apostolic one. If you look at or listen to some of the messages our pastor has been bringing in the last four months, there has been an apostolic anointing on the teaching to establish doctrinal foundation that will last this house for decades to come. Generations will rely on and stand upon the foundation of sound doctrine. Our pastor is showing himself to be approved unto God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that is an anointing and an opportunity, a point of access for all of us. Are you sensing this? There is something happening here. This intimacy of the Holy Spirit is plowing the ground of our heart until it's good enough to receive the seed of his glory. About 40 years ago, the spirit of revelation came to me in the form of a scripture. And I learned that when the spirit of revelation comes, he shows me something, not so that I learn, have wisdom, or understand. He shows me something to make me aware of the existence of something or the presence of someone. The spirit of revelation first comes to make us aware of something that we didn't know was there. I was reading an article the other day about how how did that guy, whoever that person was, figure out that there are waves going through the unseen realm and that somehow we could harness waves that are invisible to the natural eye so that you can hear my voice in an amplified way. I can Google what I'm going to eat for lunch today or find directions. Somebody received a revelation of the existence of something. And so my intent today is not so much to teach or preach but to make us aware of something that exists for us and someone who exists for us. So, these are the two scriptures that the Lord brought to me about 40 years ago. If you'd stand, let's read 
this and then we'll pray. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9 says, Let them, plural, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice of your shed blood in order that we might be cleansed of the stain of sin and have access to the presence of Almighty God. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to touch us now and as a spirit of truth that you'd lead us into all truth. We ask you for an impartation of your Holy Spirit so that hearts that have been hungry can be satisfied and hearts that have been thirsty can be quenched. Holy Spirit, order our footsteps as we walk through your word until we find the heart of the Father and until Jesus gets the reward that he so deserves. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Greet somebody before you sit down. Say hi, introduce yourself. Okay. Anybody watch TED Talks? Anybody watch TED Talks? If you do, you've probably watched one of the most watched TED Talks in the history of TED Talks. Put on by a man named Simon Sinek, author and speaker, consultant, written many books, including one called Start With Why. And Simon Sinek teaches that leadership requires the leader to explain the why of work. That we often make the mistake of telling people what? I start as a French fryer at McDonald's and the boss tells me, clean the fryer. Okay, he told me what to do. I show up, I look at the fryer, and I go, how do you do that? There's hot oil in there. I don't want to burn myself. But the boss didn't tell me. Or they might tell us how and why. They say, I just cleaned the thing yesterday. Why would I need to clean the fryer today? And Simon Sinek says that we should start with a why. If you're a supervisor, you're a parent, your boss, your neighbor, your pastor. Knowing why makes understanding so much more complete. The why gives us something under our stand. Understand? If we have a why, if we know the purpose, 
then we have a greater understanding. So I like playing doctor with scriptures. So I took this verse, these two verses, and I broke it into the three elements. See, Simon, Simon did not come across a leadership principle or a business concept. Through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, somehow he tapped into this concept of how, what, and why. This is a kingdom principle, and I'll show you a couple of examples on how the how, what, and why is embedded in Scripture, starting with this one. So, again, reading from Exodus 20, uh, 25 and verse 8. It says, let them, notice plural again. Let them do what? Make me a sanctuary. Oh, I got a great idea. Those Egyptian guys, they're building these pyramids, but I got a design that will improve on the pyramid. My pyramid is, the, the point is going to be down and the base is going to be up, and it's not going to teeter or fall. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what he's asking you. Okay. Why? He wants us to make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Oh. Okay. I got a great idea. I think it... Somebody stole the name, like Taj Mahal, but I got an idea on how I'm going to build this sanctuary for God. The presence of God? Are you kidding me? I got bling ready to go. No, no. Verse 9 is how. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. God wants us to build a house for the presence of the Lord exactly the way he tells us. In the Old Testament, there are eight primary or four primary habitations of the presence of God, starting with the Ark of Noah. And if you want my notes, just see me and ask. Not sure how to get it out. But the Ark of Noah, right before Noah entered in, the voice of God came to Noah and said, Noah, come in. And for all those days when Noah and all those animals were holed up in the Ark of Noah, there was the presence of of the Lord. God kept all of those animals together. The lions did not eat one rabbit. <laughs> and unfortunately, none of the eight people on that boat squashed that mosquito. But hey, there's the presence of God. In this conversation, we're looking at Exodus Chapter, and all of these verses are, all of these addresses are in chapters. So Tabernacle of Moses, Exodus 25 through 40, where primarily Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's in the cloud of glory before the presence of the Lord. And in this environment, 
God gives Moses a pattern. And it, we're talking about the pattern of the habitation of God, a place for his glory to reside. But also on the mountain, God gave Moses the blueprint for the birth of Israel, the nation. Remember that the families of Jacob went into Egypt. Joseph, taken through all his trials, becomes second in command, feeds the world, and brings his family. He saves them. Years later, the family were taken captive. And over 300 years, this family turned into tribes. And now in Mount Sinai, God turns these tribes into a nation. He gives Moses the blueprint for this tabernacle. And we'll talk more about that. The third habitation is the tabernacle of David. And then we have the temple of Solomon. The Ark of Noah was a habitation of salvation. The tabernacle of Moses, the habitation of redemption. The tabernacle of David, the habitation of worship. And then the, the temples of Solomon was a habitation of the kingdom government. But in the Old Testament, there are two more habitations of God. The first Old Testament, the fifth habitation in the Scripture is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 2.19, Jesus was talking to some guys who were just trash-talking with him. Jesus answered to them and said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to raise it up. Speaking about his body, prophesying about his resurrection. The habitation of God on earth was fulfilled in Jesus. Those four Old Testament habitations all pointed to Jesus. All of those four habitations have their fulfillment in Jesus. In the Old Testament, they came to a place, Mount Sinai, Mount Moriah for the Temple of Solomon, Mount Zion for David, Ararat for the uh, resting place of the ark. In the New Testament, we don't come to a place to see God. We come to a person, the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, when they followed the pillar, the Bible says, the presence of God was with them. In the New Testament, the presence of God is in them. There is the flow of God's progression from the Old Testament patterns that point and the one who comes to fulfill the law and the prophetic from the Old Testament. And then the last habitation is us. When you see the body of Christ, you see the temple of God. We are believers, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know? I can just hear Paul's tone. Don't you know? You are God's temple. Don't you know God's spirit? dwells in you. 
We are the temple of the living God. Six habitations. The first four find their fulfillment in Christ and there will be a fulfillment in the temple of God, the people who love him and serve him. Everything that God does is built with a pattern. We were playing uh, Taboo, this game last night, and somebody had the clue designed, but you're not supposed to say certain words. I'm thinking intelligent design. That, would, that was going to be my clue. Unfortunately, it was the other team, and I don't think they got that one. <laughs> we won, but... <laughs> Everything God has is built upon a pattern. And the precedent starts in the first chapter of Genesis when the Holy Spirit was brooding over the water. The Bible says, that which was without form and void. And the Father spoke, let there be light. And from that moment, there became a series of separations, which is often how the creative process in the kingdom of God works. First, there is a separation, light from darkness, waters from waters, water from land. And then after the separation is complete, comes the fruitfulness, the fish and the flora and fauna. But they get to the sixth day and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are having their cup of coffee in the morning. They're talking about what they're going to do today. And one of them goes, let's make man. And I have a pattern. It's our image. We're going to make this man in our image. We're going to create man in our likeness. Now, it's not that the likeness of God was not embedded in the rest of creation. But there was something unique about the creative process in the kingdom realm. That God used the pattern of he, him, his. The pattern of his heart, the pattern of his mind, the pattern of his hands that work, the pattern of his feet that walk. We are created in the image of God and that is our pattern. The Lord's Prayer, the disciples said, they came to Jesus one day and said, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them. I think I've, I've said before, one of, the, one of my food out of the, the Lord's Prayer is the first word of the prayer. Our it's a corporate prayer. God is bringing a new release and understanding in this body for our. The pattern for building the habitation is displayed in this portion. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Remember the how, what, and why? Last night I was meditating on this and trying to figure out, okay, what? That's a good scripture. I like that. But the Lord said, you haven't contrasted it with Exodus 25 yet. Well, <laughs> oops. So I did. Look what I found. When you combine Matthew 20, uh, 6 and Math, or Exodus 25, your kingdom come. What's happening? The kingdom of God is coming. How is it going to happen? Well, the will of God will be done. Why? So that it is on earth as it is in heaven. This is the why of God. And all of a sudden, the disciples' prayer gave new meaning. Embedded in this is an answer to Exodus 25. The kingdom of God is coming, our why from Exodus, to make a sanctuary. What is a kingdom? Two words, right? The king's domain. It's the dwelling place of the king. It's where he resides. So the Lord wants us to make him a place of his kingdom so that the king will have a domain. How are we going to do it? I'm going to show you exactly the way it is. And when you follow, my will will be done. But you got to do it exactly the way I show you. So that on earth, the kingdom of God can rule and reign. It has never been God's intent to have heaven be shut off from earth. God is taking the initiative to come to earth and bring heaven. And guess who gets to work with him? So a couple of thoughts. The first is about those who build. And I believe that God is creating a new sense of desire for this house to become wise master builders so that when we get together, which is the focus of where Pastor Mark was sensing, so I'm, I'm limiting these com comments to this corporate gathering, which we can see a precursor in Exodus chapters 24 and 25. Before Moses gets to the mountain, Israel had a worship service. There's a call to worship. They had the reading of the word. They have a declaration of faith. Uh, verse, uh, or chapter 25, they took an offering. Oh, and a celebration of communion. The five elements of a good service. What we do here is not by tradition is by following the pattern from Exodus 24 and 25. I won't pass the plate right now and take up an offering, but it's in there. I want to show you or introduce you to a, one of my heroes of the Old Testament, Bezalel. He's the first guy that I can find who was filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament. 
before Jesus was even born, before Acts chapter 2. Bezalel was a really interesting guy. Now remember that Bezalel and the children of Israel came from generation after generation after generation after generation after generation of being slaves. They were the economic engine for the rise of Egypt to the premier place of power and wealth in all the world. But see what the Lord said to Moses, verse 2 of 31. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Ur, uh, Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And look at what God does. He said, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Notice he didn't say, I am with Bezalel. He said, I have filled him with my spirit. What happened when the Holy Spirit filled this man Bezalel? Now, I come from a Catholic background when I was a child, and then I was saved here. Uh, in a couple months, it will be my 45th anniversary of, or my birthday of accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. I stood right there and prayed the prayer of repentance. Went behind these walls to receive the baptisms of the Holy Spirit as evidenced in speaking in tongues. And that night came back and went downstairs and got wet as they baptized me in the waters of baptism. One day I got the trifecta. Thank you for that. (laughs) And I, there was a time when I thought, the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit was in your ability to speak in tongues. And when I went to Scripture, I found that's not true. In Acts chapter 2, when the, the Holy Spirit was poured out in fulfillment of the promise of the Father, there were three manifestations of the supernatural realm. There was this, the, the, the sound of a mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues of fire that somehow touched them but did not burn them and speaking in tongues that other people from other nations who were there could understand. And the commotion that was caused in Acts chapter 2 was so great that the 120 that were experiencing this baptism of the Holy Spirit made such a ruckus that in the supernatural realm thousands of people in the city came to observe what was happening. If we all stood, we, got, we probably got more than 120 people right here, right? If we all started to do, make a ruckus and cause commotion and yell and scream, it's unlikely that our actions would draw thousands of people. 3,000 were saved that day. And not all who came were all that saved. At the house of Cornelius... The first preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit, you know, people have described the Holy Spirit as being a gentleman. He's not going to violate your will. Well, I don't buy that. (laughs) Here, the the apostle is preaching the gospel. He is giving it all he's got because these guys saw him in a dream. Peter is telling them about Jesus. But the rude Holy Spirit in the middle, 
of his preaching brings a glorious disruption. And he pours himself into these people and they start to prophesy and they start to speak in tongues. And the disciples who were with Peter said, yeah, what we saw in the book of Acts, you know, chapter 2, this is it. This is the real day. I, I don't know why these Gentiles are getting the Holy Spirit, but something is happening. Paul goes to the Ephesians and he says, what baptism did you guys have? Have you heard of the promise? No, we just got wet. Oh. And he lays on him, on them, and the Ephesians begin to speak in tongues and praise God. In this Old Testament, we see the infilling of the Holy Spirit does something to Bezalel. The Holy Spirit has four components in this section. The Lord told Moses, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And what came with that? Ability. And what else? Intelligence. What else? Came with knowledge. And what else? All craftsmanship. There was a skill that God released into the man named Bezalel. Ability is wise, wise acting, experience. It has a reference to technical skill and skill at war. Intelligence was understanding. Remember? Understanding and discretion. Knowledge was discernment and perception. And then craftsmanship relates to workmen, business, work, service. It has an element related to cattle and property. It also refers to being a messenger of God. Bezalel went went on to leading the the creation of the, the articles of furniture and all of the stuff in this tabernacle. They were quite ornate, and I imagine that if we had one here, the appraisers would say, this is a priceless artifact, not just because of its context in history and Christianity, but look at the exquisite detail of this stuff, the, art, the artistic work, the expression, the mastery, the craftsmanship created in this stuff. Who was the overseer of this guy? Some guy named Bezalel. Where did he learn how to work with precious stones, skins, fine wood? He was a slave. Now, I don't know what Bezalel's occupation was in Egypt. I don't know what his job title was. Hod carrier, straw and mud mixer. I don't know. But he was a slave, and somehow God gave him a supernatural impartation through the infilling of the Holy Spirit that exceeded his natural resume. His educational experience could not have prepared him to build and oversee the sanctuary that the children of Israel built. Not only in Bezalel, but look at this. Continuing in Exodus 31, verse 6. Behold, I've appointed, I myself appointed with him Oholiab, 
But there's more. I've appointed in the hearts of all who are skillful. I have put skill or wisdom that they make all that I have commanded you. 36.2 Every skilled person, skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose hearts stirred him. I believe God has placed people who have skill here. Not skill so that you can go into the world of work or education, government or wherever, entertainment and be successful. You might be, but God has given us a unique mix of people who can come together because their hearts are being stirred. Their skillful hearts are being stirred. God has a corporate skill set for this congregation that no other congregation will have because everyone is not different. Everyone in God are unique. And there is a difference between, oh, you know, you guys are that way, but I'm different. We're not setting ourselves apart from the rest of the body of Christ. We're simply saying, look at all these faces, beautiful people, experiences, ages, levels of educational attainment and family history. There's a legacy here. Look at how unique this group is. And I'm one of them. Yay! God is calling a company of people to his presence, and he is stirring our hearts to build a habitation for the presence of the Lord. Paul, uh, Paul says, I'm, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation. We get to take care of building something unique and special here in order that the presence of God might rest here. I'm going to apply this into our worship expression, which is the most common thing we do as a congregation. There's no other church activity that we participate in where more of us are doing it at the same time. We are a worshiping church. I'm not going to get into the prophetic sense that Pastor Mark has. I, I, I'm not sure if you're going to share that next week, the redigging of the wells from Rehoboth. He called me this week to give me permission to go for it. Which I appreciate. I mean, he hit me at a, at a vulnerable time. I was just not sure how far to push this. We have a history in this building of worshiping God. And I am very sensitive and aware to the, of the fact that we have a congregation that came from two congregation merged into one. God grafted us into one. And I don't know about you, but I'm really happy and delighted at the work of God among us 
so that we really don't, I mean, nobody has the I'm from Sozo button and the balloon that says I'm from the Rock of Ages button. You know, that's, but what was noteworthy for me is that our elders, when we merged, decided to retain the corporate structure of the Rock of Ages. And they retained that for several reasons. I believe there are spiritual reasons why and spiritual results. Our corporation was incorporated in the state of Washington through the Washington State Secretary, uh, Department of Secretary, in 1955, started by a young couple, Ernest and Joy Gentile. And it was from those humble beginnings that our taproot began to grow and a well began to be dug in the prophetic worship expression here. I remember uh, after being saved, starting to lead worship here, and pastors from other parts of the city and state, region actually, over the, the 20, 30 years after, would, would dis- I would ask them, what do you know about the Rock of Ages at that time? And they said, there is an apostolic and prophetic move here. Davidic worship was not being experienced anywhere else in this region. And I've heard that from, from several respected ministers that People would come. I, I remember talking with Lori Klein, the, the recipient of the heavenly hymn, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Every once in a while, she and Bill would come, Klein would come and visit, and we'd catch up and talk stories. And I say, What are you guys up to? We've been dry, and we wanted to come and drink of the worship well here. When we took out um, Steve and Cindy Seabury to lunch after they were here a couple weeks ago, I guess, Cindy asked Mark and Ty, is the worship always that good here? Like, we had a really good hair day that day. (laughs) And they were, and we just, you know, kind of looked at each other and said, Yeah. I don't think their experience was because we have an amazing, awesome worship team. Here's what I think, and this is a tone I've heard for years. The heart of your people worship God. There is this freedom and liberty to come before the presence of the Lord and begin to sing unto him. Sing a new song unto the Lord. There is a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this place coming. It has begun in our hearts. God wants to raise up a new song at Sozo. I got a lot more scriptures, but I don't, we need to just get to this. So, let me fast forward, fast forward. When it comes to worship, 
Here's part of our pattern. If you want to know what worship in heaven really looks like, go to these street addresses. Read some of the stuff. Like Noah, you know, that the covenant that God had with Noah. He's, he's, he's not, he ain't going to do this again. Drown the world. And what is the symbol? What, did, what was the symbol? Yeah, a rainbow. Well, just in the first worship scene in Revelation chapter 4, when you read the description that John had of the throne room, one of the things he observed is that the one who's sitting on the throne is like green and red. He uses two gemstones to describe the color. He said, around the throne was a rainbow, not an ark, but the entire throne, the entire room was this rainbow. When you see the activity in our pattern for worship, you will see how they do it. And on earth as it is in heaven, you will find what God intended in, from heaven to be brought on earth. There is a lot happening in heaven. And I would encourage anyone who has a heart of a true worshiper, but you feel stuck or you want to receive a new impartation of the spirit of worship, spend some time going to the seven movies of Revelation. Allow your sanctified imagination to read the imagery. See what the key actors are doing. Listen to what they say and how they say it. The worship language being used in these portions of Scripture can be lyrics for the new song that you sing. In fact, in heaven, when they sing, it's primarily singing new songs. They sang a new song unto the Lord, to him who is seated on the throne. The only time they, I think, I haven't checked it out with Spotify or iTunes, but they sang the song of Moses. They sang the song of the Lamb. So I know some of you budding musicians have aspirations, but when you have 100 or 144,000 people singing your song, I mean, that's a good day. The angels, the four living creatures, the, 20, the 24 elders, they are singing. And when you look at the lyrics, the words that they use, the worship language that they use in the unbridled, unfiltered presence of Almighty God, it's not that complicated. Sometimes we sing them. Here's one, and this is for those who, you know, when we get to the part of the service and you're like, all right, they just took the words down. What do they expect me to do? I mean, I... I don't know the reds that these other people are singing. What do I do now? 
Well, when we go from the pre-written song to a new song, you can do what some of those angels and the four and twenty elders do in the living creatures, the four living creatures. Here's a word, easy to understand. Amen. In the Old Testament, there is a ministry of amen. So be it. It's a declaration. It's like taking a nail and driving it well until you cannot pull that nail out. Amen. If you don't know what to sing, amen. Amen. So be it. Here's another one. Hallelujah. 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 Two parts. Hallelujah is the command. Praise. Praise. The second part. Yahweh. The command. You don't have to be a lyricist to stand before the presence of the Lord when there are no lyrics up here and simply say, hallelujah. 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 Come. Hallelujah. Amen. God is wanting us to sing a new song before him. And I got a bunch of scriptures that I ain't going to read. We can have wonderful worship service, great music, full-throated singing, heads back, hands up, dancing away. But the distinctive of this house the hallmark of this place the pattern that God has built or designed for us is to sing in a prophetic tone is to sing with all our heart, with all our mind. God has called us to experience the seven worship scenes of Revelation. Revelation 19.10 is the end of the seventh scene, which is the end of these seven worship scenes. And I believe God has given this mantle to this place as an expression of worship to him. Now, the Apostle John had been through a lot with Jesus. He was there when Jesus called him. He was there when Jesus was healing the sick, making bread for feeding people. He was there the day Jesus died. He was there when Jesus was, the, was on the cross and called for John and his mother to come and said, hey, 
take care of my mom. Moments before he died. John was there the day Jesus was raised from the dead. He was there when he saw one of his brothers doubt the resurrected uh, resurrection of Jesus. He was there when Jesus said, I got to go, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Father's promised that. He was there when Jesus began to ascend into heaven in bodily form until they couldn't see him anymore. And two angels had to come by and tell the disciples, hey, he's gone. Follow his directions. Go wait in an upper room. John was there when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And John is going through this amazing revelation experience. I mean, he just, I don't know how his mind was able to contain all the revelation. I mean, it was been, it was overload more than any video game or multimedia presentation could. I mean, John was in it. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And yet after all of these visions, I mean, he's seen horses and fire and stuff. He gets to the end of the seventh worship scene and he falls down at the feet of the angel that's his tour guide as he goes through these revelations. And the angel goes, no, 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 no. Hey, get up. I'm your fellow servant with you and your brothers. You hold the testimony of Jesus. And John gets a reminder, and it's a reminder I use myself, and it's a reminder I offer you. Worship God. Worship God. You folks, worship God. When we come here, worship God. Just worship God. After his life of living, the only guy that laid his head upon the breast of Jesus, they were like that. He still needed a reminder. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we worship God, we can use those one-worded songs. Holy, holy, holy. Do you want to switch it up? Hallelujah. (laughs) And for your big finale, amen. We want to be a place of his habitation, a resting place for the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? Don't we want that? 
Is your heart being stirred for the presence of the Lord? You feel that? The Bible says, my heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. There is a hunger coming, not at our initiative. We haven't deserved it. We don't have a buy one, get one. The Holy Spirit is initiating this hunger and thirst for his presence. And we want to avail ourselves to the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that the things that have yet not appeared on earth but are designed and created in heaven waiting for somebody to unwrap the present, release the bow, and bring what God has prepared in heaven to earth. And one of those vehicles will be a prophetic people who come before the presence of the Lord, who cast their crowns down before the throne of grace and cry out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Yah! Come to earth! What is going on in heaven? Come! The Bible says to make his praise glorious. And it is when we sing. But how many of you have a desire to see the lost be set free? Because they believed that Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scripture. And then believed that he appeared unto many and he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And when we believe in him, we can repent of our sins, turn from our wicked ways, and receive the cleansing blood of Jesus. We can trade our sorrows for joy, our diseases for health, our brokenness for healing and wholeness. When we sing, we're not just singing for us or to have a good time. This is a Holy Ghost party, yes. But we can also sing, come Lord, come into our homes, come into our congregation, come into the hearts of my brothers and sisters, come through the streets, let wisdom lift up her voice and speak to our people, turn the hearts of our state, bring the Spirit of God into our government until they bow their knee. Come, let us worship and bow down is not a song for those who are already saved. We can cause the stream of God's prophetic presence to come through. And as we sing, come let us worship and bow down, we can prophetically not only sing to one another, but we can look over to the horizons of our community and say, come, let us worship and bow down. Even though you're not saved yet, you haven't met Jesus Christ, you haven't repented of your sins, come, come, all you who are laden and heavy, and he will give you rest. When we take the lyrics down and we begin to sing a new song, I'm asking you to adopt a new heart that we are 
not just priests who approach God. You study the tabernacle of Moses. There is a process that the high priest will go through. He enters his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There's a sacrifice. You wash. You partake of the shoe bread. You partake of the, the, the lampstand, the light. Then you take the altar of incense from the holy place into the most holy place. And from there you burn the incense and you sprinkle the blood on the throne or the ark. There is this approach when we go into the presence of God. And prophetic singing is one of those mandates. But the high priest turns around from facing the throne and he turns now not as a high priest, but as a king taking the commission of the government of God, taking a mandate, a word of direction, a word of authority, a word of liberation. And he comes and says, come, all you are thirsty, come. When we sing, we are prophetically declaring into the hearts of people we may never meet the river of God that flows from this place down the mountain and into the hearts of hungry, desperate souls. That's our mandate. A prophetic people who will stand on the word of God, declaring through your testimony Thank you for delivering me from drugs and alcohol. Thank you for saving my desperate life. Release more of your glory. Whatever the lyrics are, tap into the heart that God is stirring. Tap into the heart that God has put skill. I believe God is releasing the ability for us to worship him so that rulers and wickedness in high places will flee. Chains will break. We've had many people healed during our worship services. We've had many people delivered, convicted of their sin, turn and repent, get real with God. I'm just asking for an authentic heart Remember what the angel said? Worship God. So we're going to do an experiment. You, you guys up for an experiment? <laughs> Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The worship team will come up. We're going to sing a song. I like the song. I forget the name of it, but... Be Enthroned. Be enthroned. You know, since we're talking about worship and all. It's a good idea. And I want to give some instruction. Because, and, and my heart is not to be critical of what happens here. Because I believe there is a sweetness. Like today, when we were worshiping God, there was a sweetness of his nearness. There was this fragrance I'm simply being stirred by the Holy Spirit to issue in a call for us to move up into a new reality. 
It's not just a new season. This is not even a new era. It is a new reality that God wants to bring in this house. And if you're not from this house, your house too. It's to be able to sing a new song of the Lord. We can get a lot of good worship music online. You can hear, you know, songs being written. But the distinctive of this place is to sing a prophetic new song unto the Lord that is not premeditated, that is not prearranged, pre-rehearsed, or any of that stuff. It simply comes from the purity of heart. Who shall ascend unto the holy hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's all the Lord is asking. And so we're going to sing, we're going to have the lyrics and you, got, you, know, you kind of know how the flow goes, right? We sing chorus, verse. Chorus, second verse. We got a bridge somewhere. Not sure why they call it that, but you're going to take us somewhere. And at some point, uh, the worship team is going to dial it back, give us a sila. That's when you catch your breath. And especially if you're singing loud and full voice and your lungs need to be rejuvenated and oxygenized and all that stuff. But you'll know musically there is a build. And we're starting to build. And I, I love the fact that we have worship leaders that won't pull the seedling out. That if, if you talk about a plant as the worship service, you plant the seed, we start and the seed germinates, and there's a sprout, the worship team doesn't take us out and say, all right, now we're going to sing a new song. No, they wait for the fruit, green fruit. They don't pick the fruit and, oh, man, the fruit is up. We should pick it. They wait because the Spirit is building. There's a desire. It's like the hours before a big game. Or the, uh, <laughs> the hours before the bride is preparing herself for the wedding, you know, you got the makeup and the hair and the shoes and the, the, there is a preparation or the green fruit. But there comes a time when the sweetness of ripe fruit should be picked. And there is this skill congregations need. There's a skill that worship teams need to know when it's time when it's, things are right, we're not having a service where we launch into a new song when it's a sprout or green fruit. We're waiting until the ripeness and the Holy Spirit will give us a new skill on navigating with Him through our worship experience because as the Spirit of worship, He is the ultimate worship leader. He knows how to get us from here to here to here to there, and it's all because he comes to us so we can come to him. It's all because his Holy Spirit is leading us so we can follow him as we go through the service to worship him until we find the heart of the Father and we can do it together with one mind, one voice, one heart, until we glorify the name of our great 
God. We can prophesy his word and see the word performed. We can speak the word of God till men and women bend their knees. So come, let's worship God. Come, let's worship God. So when we get to the point when the lyrics go, I'm going to ask you to sing a new song. You have all these moments to think. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to stir. And when we get to that point, let's together as an army stand before the presence of the Lord and sing a new song unto him. Are you with me? Am I doing a good job of explaining this? Thank you. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to touch your people. We want to be available. You've asked, who shall I send? We say, send us into the heavenly realms. Help us use all that you've given us to worship you, to bless your name. And as an army, as a people, we dedicate ourselves to making your praise glorious throughout the earth. We want to see the name of Jesus high and lifted up in Jesus' name.